Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. I know that wives sometimes have a hard time placing themselves under the leadership of a husband, but can I say this, that I think many times the reason for that may be because the husbands are unwilling to step up and be the leaders they're supposed to be. Among the things that all of us as human beings share together, one of the more obvious ones is that we all had parents. And since it's Father's Day, we all had a father. Now, not everyone had a good father, and some of you listening today may have even had an absentee father. But as we'll hear today, we all have a heavenly father that is always there for us and always has our best interest in mind. This is the God who is our heavenly father. We won't get it right all the time, but he is the model for us as fathers. And this is who I can try and emulate in my life. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. If you're a regular listener to Crosswalk, then you know we've been in a series entitled Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. Last week, Pastor Clay started walking us through Daniel chapter 7, a chapter filled with an amazing prophetic message. Well, today we're continuing on in chapter 7 as Pastor Clay introduces us to the Ancient of Days and what that means for our lives. Thanks for being with us. Now here's Pastor Clay. It's Father's Day. There is no perfect dad. There is no dad that gets it right uh, all the time. There is no earthly dad that gets it right all the time. We've been working our way through the book of Daniel. Uh, You can open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. That's where we are uh, now for the second week and where we will pick back up again uh, after I return from Haiti in a couple of weeks. Uh, But Daniel chapter 7, if you happen to like to take... Uh, notes uh, on the back of your uh, information sheet is an outline, and quite a bit of it is filled in from last week. We, we uh, began uh, to talk about the reason why we look at prophecy, the reason why we look at the harder passages of Scripture that a lot of people just like, oh, I can't figure that out, or that's too much, or I don't want to put the time into that. Uh, we, we spent quite a bit of time looking at the, the reason why we do it, and then we st- dove into the revelation. Uh, what is God telling us here in Daniel chapter 7? And it's, it's it's some funky stuff, right? I mean, it's, there's like, whoa, what all's going on here? We read the whole chapter last week. We began to fill in some of those blanks about what, what this thing is that Daniel saw, what all this is in Daniel's vision, what are these beasts and that sort of thing. Today, I'm going to pick back up. The revelation is going to be continued, but we're only looking at two verses uh, connected to this heavenly father that we have. I'll explain. Daniel chapter 7. We're looking at verses 9 and 10 this morning. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, and its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. Father, I thank you again for dads, fathers, and the investment they make in our lives. But today, as we take a few moments to continue on in Daniel, we're just looking at a small section of Daniel chapter 7. Uh, But, Lord, there is some truth that we need to learn about the Ancient of Days and what that means uh, for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Let's talk about this ancient of days. Now, you don't, probably don't need me to say this. It's pretty, I think it's probably pretty obvious even as you read the text. But the, the, Daniel's reference to the ancient of days here is no less than Daniel's reference to God. The ancient of days is God. That's who he is talking about. And in this description, which, by the way, Daniel is the only one, as best I could find, Daniel is the only one who uses this phrase, ancient of days, in reference to God. And uh, uh, this is the only place I could find it. As far as I know, Daniel chapter 7 is the only place he uses this. He hasn't used it before uh, in 1 through 6. He doesn't use it after it. But only in chapter 7 does he refer to the ancient of days. And he is referring to God. And in this reference to the ancient of days, there is a description that you and I need to look at and spend a few, ti- uh, a few moments with uh, this morning. Uh, there's a description of this ancient of days. It's God. What do we know about him? What does this description tell us about it? Well, even in the name, even in the name, I think we find his, his what I would say, his eternality. It, the, the, the fact that God is eternal. It is his eternality. Uh, God is. God was, God is, and God will always be. He is an eternal God. Can I just point you to a few passages of Scripture this morning, beginning in the book of Deuteronomy? As I said, Daniel is the only one that uses this phrase, ancient of days. But the, the fact that God is eternal is displayed throughout the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. The eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he drove out the enemy from before you. And said, destroy. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. It is his eternal power in Romans 16. But now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandments of the, say it with me, eternal God has been made known to all nations leading to obedience of faith. First uh, Timothy chapter 1. Now to the king, say it, eternal. Say it, you didn't say it loud enough. To the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. How about the book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation chapter 21, verse 6. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. And then Revelation 22, verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It is this, this fact that God is eternal. Now... How do you even begin to get your mind around that? I have no idea, because I sure can't. How do you begin to grasp the idea that there has never been a time when God is not, has not been? I don't even know how, I don't even know how you do that. But the truth is, he is eternal. Now, uh, there's another aspect of this description that I want to look at, and it is his holiness. It is his holiness. Now, when we, when we talk about God's holiness, this, this idea of, of, uh, of who God is and, and this idea that he's separate, that, 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 that he is a holy God, a couple of things that we need to understand. First, understand that 
um, that Scripture teaches us that God is spirit, right? In, in John 4, 24, uh, it says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So this description of God here in verse 9 has to be understood as symbolic, but it says that his vesture or his, his clothing, what he is wearing, is is white as snow, it says, and that his hair of his head is like pure wool. It is referring to or symbolically pointing at the purity or the holiness of God. Now, understand, when we talk about the holiness of God, we are talking about his sinlessness, okay? To use that term, I don't even know if that's actually a word, but his sinlessness, that he is without sin, that he has no sin nature within him. That, that is an aspect of talking about the holiness of God. But the holiness of God also refers to not only his sinlessness, but also his separateness. Do you understand what I mean by that? That God is unique. There, there is no one, there is nothing like God. That's what Scripture clearly indicates. And, and quite honestly, that's, that's what history has proven out. It is not only his sinlessness, it is his separateness. Now, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. People... People may make other things God, wood or, or stone idols or, or other religious figures or, or philosophies or, or ideologies or, or uh, careers or uh, money or some famous. People may make other things their God, but understand, ladies and gentlemen, there is no other God. He is unique. He is unlike any other. Listen, just to look at a few passages of Scripture that, that deal with that. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 1 Chronicles 17. For this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. And there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. How about this in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy. That, that idea of of perfect and separate and unique is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, chapter 10 says, There's none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. For among the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Do you see a pattern here? How about this one? Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. It is the holiness of God. And Daniel is pointing at that when he says, when he gives this figurative description. His clothing is, is white as snow. His hair is, 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 is like wool. It's just purity. It's holiness. It's separateness. It's uniqueness. It's unlike any other. Now, I'm going somewhere with this buildup, so stay with me. Also... In this description, there's this threefold or this three-time reference to fire. Did you notice that when we, we read that at the latter part of verse 9 and first part of verse 10? Uh, it says, his throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. It's interesting, this reference to wheels on the throne of, of God there in the latter part of verse 9, first part of verse uh, 10. Uh, it has led some biblical students to, uh, to posture that, that God's throne, at least in this instance, may actually be a chariot. 
a chariot of fire, if you will. Now, a chariot was an instrument of war, ladies and gentlemen. And can I say this to you? God is waging war against the sinfulness of mankind, against the attacks of Satan and his cohorts and those who would desire to destroy all that is right, all that is good, all that is pure in the world. God is waging war against those who would stand against purity. What we're referring to is his righteousness. That, that's, that's the description here. It's his righteousness. Now, listen, in some sense you can say, well, holiness, righteousness... Isn't that the same thing? In some sense, yes. You could almost say that it's two sides of the same coin. But I think that when we talk about His holiness, as we did a moment ago, we're referring more to the character of God. He is holy. He is unlike any other. He is unique, and He has no sin nature. it's It's His character. But when we talk about the righteousness of God... I think that we, look, we can look at it more in a sense of dealing with his, his conduct, his character. He, yes, he is holy. He is separate. He's unique. His, his righteousness is his character. God is righteous, which means he acts right. All of his decisions, all of his actions are right. They are just. They are fair. They are correct. Now, the reason, the reason that is important, ladies and gentlemen is because I would dare say every single person listening to this message has at one time or another felt like they were not being treated fair. Right? Come on. Come on. Hey, why did this have to happen to me? Why didn't I get the job? Why did I lose the job? Why won't my spouse love me? Why did my spouse leave me? Why did, why did I have to get this disease? Why did that have to happen? Why does this have to go this way? Why, did, why does everything turn out the way it is? Why does this happen? And here's the problem. I didn't even got to the problem yet. Here's the problem. Y'all are all good students of theology, right? And here's what you know about God. You know that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere present. Right? I mean, that's, that's the basics of who God is. And even this, this description of Daniel 7 is, is pointing to that idea, that his eternality and his right, that, that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present. That's good, good theology. That's what you've been taught if you've been around some, any Bible-believing church for any extended period of time. Right? God, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present. That's God. Here's the problem. That means that we know when those things, when those circumstances happen in our life, we know that he could do something about it, don't we? Right? And we have to say, yes, he could. Because otherwise we end up in in theological absurdity with a God that can't really control everything, but somehow we're supposed to worship him. And No, you end up just in theological absurdity if you go in that direction. And so we have to say, okay, God is uh, all-knowing, everywhere present, all-powerful. So that means that God can control circumstances, so God can change it. So God, why didn't I get that job? God, why did I get this disease? God, why did my spouse uh, why does my spouse treat me this way? God, why, does, why doesn't God do something about it? And we end up feeling unfair, unjustly treated. Here's what you have to remember. Here's what we have to, all of us have to remember. Because we feel this way at times. There's, there's no sense in trying to hide it or mask it or whatever. Because I've just stood here and said that God is righteous. It means all of God's decisions, all of God's actions, all of God's thoughts, they are right and true and fair. But it doesn't feel fair when it happens to me. So... Here's a little something to help us. 
Here's what you need to keep in mind. First, mystery. Mystery. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry, but God is under no obligation to explain to us everything he does or why he does it or why it turns out the way that it does. He's just not under any obligation to do that. He's God, you're not, and you and I have to come to the place where we understand that we are never going to understand everything. That there is some mystery involved in all of this. And here, here, this is key. If I were you, I would write this down because it's really important. If you have not already written this into your heart, we have to come to the place where we are willing to say, it's okay if I don't understand why or know why everything happens. It's only important that God knows and understands why everything happens the way everything happens. Did you get that? Absolutely. It may not come out the same way, but I can repeat it. It doesn't matter if I know or understand why everything happens the way it happens. It only matters that I know and understand that God knows and understands why everything happens and turns out the way it does. It's, there's a mystery here. And you have to be willing to leave it at that. Second, eternity. There's the second word. Eternity. You and I have to understand that God operates, moves, works from an eternal perspective. We already talked about his eternality, that he's always been. So you have to understand that when we're we're grappling with this idea of my circumstances and you're telling me that God loves me and he does everything righteously and yet it doesn't look like it in my circumstances. When we're grappling with that idea, we have to remember that God is looking at everything from an eternal perspective. And you and I look at things from a temporal perspective. I wish we didn't and I know we try not to and as God works in our lives, we begin to get more of eternal focus but we tend to look at things from our circumstantial, temporal right now perspective and God is looking at it from an entirely different perspective and the difference between those two perspectives is so vast ladies and gentlemen that I don't you can't even begin to describe it if you're familiar with the book of Job or the story of Job do you remember if you've read the story you know the account uh, Job is this really righteous dude I mean he really is he's trying to honor God with his life he's living right he's doing all the right things and and and, and God has blessed him and he in his life and all this kind of stuff. And suddenly, this whole series of, of, uh, of calamities and tragedies befall Job's life. And the text says that Satan comes against it. Satan attacks Job. And the text says, come on, let's be honest, God allowed Satan to attack Job. We'll do a study of the book of Job one of these years, but that God allowed Satan to attack Job. Mystery. But, but tragedies, uh, financial loss, uh, uh, his friends, his, even his wife turns against him. Physical ailments come upon him. And so through all of that process, Job, Job tries to remain faithful to God. But as, as these guys are speaking at him and saying, oh, you must have done something. You must have done something wrong. God's coming down on you. You must have been wicked. Or you... And so it causes Job to begin to, to, to question, begin to say out loud, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I have not done anything to deserve this. Why is this happening to me? And he begins to ask God, God, I want to know. Tell me, why is this happening to me? Because I'm telling you, I've done nothing wrong. I don't know if you went to sleep or what. It's not what Job says. I'm paraphrasing. I don't know if you went to sleep or what, God, but I haven't done anything to deserve this. And all this stuff is coming on. So I want to know. And beginning in chapter 38 of the book of Job, God answers Job. 
I've said this to people for years. God is never afraid of our questions. He's not. When those questions are coming from a heart that's genuinely searching, genuinely wants to know what in the world is going on, or God, what are you doing? When, the heart, when it's a heart like that, God's never afraid of our questions. But I tell you, there may be times when we need to be afraid of the answers. Because beginning in Job chapter 38, God begins to answer Job. And listen to what he says. Let me read it to you. Out of the raging storm, the eternal one answered Job. Who is this that darkens counsel? Who covers over sound instruction with empty words, void of knowledge? Now, prepare yourself and gather your courage like a warrior. Prepare yourself for the task at hand. I'll be asking the questions. Now you will supply the answers. Where were you when I dug and laid the foundation of the earth? Explain it to me, if you are acquainted with understanding. Who decided on the measurements? Surely you know that. Who stretched out a line to measure the dimensions? Upon what base was the foundation set? Or who laid the cornerstone on the day when the stars of the morning broke out in song and God's heavenly throng elated, shouting, shouted along? Come on, Job, tell me that. If you've read the story, you know that, that somewhere in that process, and it, it takes some time because once, once he gets God going, God doesn't shut up for a while. But Job comes to this understanding, he says, I will put my hand over my mouth because I'm speaking in ignorance. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Listen, I know we tend to think of God as, you know, this God of comfort, and he is. But, I mean, I think we tend to think of God as like, now, now, there, there. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. But can I tell you something? Like any loving dad, he will give us what we need and not always what we want. And so sometimes, and I'm sorry, I hope this doesn't offend you, but sometimes God's a butt kicker. And that's essentially what he's doing to Job. He's trying to kick him out of this place where he's, he's moving to this place of, oh, pitiful me, why is all this happening to me? I haven't done anything wrong. And God, basically God says, hey, hey, if you've got all the answers, then step up and answer them. But if not, step back and let me be God. God ever had to say that to you? He's had to say it to me. It's, it's, it's the eternal nature of God. And he's looking at things from an eternal perspective. And we just aren't. It's like, how many, have, have you ever flown on an airplane? And uh, have you ever flown over an interstate in the day and looked down and, and seen, you know, the little ants of cars going by on the interstate? And have you ever gone, looked, and you can see and there's a traffic jam or some big, there's been a wreck or been some whatever, and ca- cars just backed up for miles and miles? And, of course, you know, you're looking and you're saying, look at them guys, man, they're flying down, you know, 65, 70, 80 miles an hour, and they're coming down. They have no idea what's ahead. Have you all ever done that from an airplane? They have no idea what's in front of them. Now, imagine if our cars were kind of, if there was somebody in the sky that did that, that radio controlled our cars and directed us in traffic situations. Imagine where you're cruising down the road, you're doing the speed limit, and, and you're going along, and, and all of a sudden, you know, the cruise control kicks off of your car, and your blinker turns on, and your car veers off to the exit. And you're like, what the world? I was doing the speed limit, going down the interstate, and everything was fine and dandy. And next thing you know, you're turning, you're going, and you're going down some weavy road, and you can't do more than, than 50 or 55 at the most. And then next thing you know, you're going through some small town, and it's got like flashing lights and, and, and 35 miles an hour. And you're like, what in the world? I was out on the interstate. I was doing fine. I, I was going along. I was going to arrive at my destination on time. And the guy up in the airplane saying, you're stupid, man. I'm saving you time. You don't even know what you were heading into. Do you have the same perspective as me? Over? Uh, negatory. 
No. You see, we, we just don't have God's perspective. And, and, and since we don't, we just might need to shut up. Okay, uh, one more. We're, we're dealing with his, his righteousness. We're saying that he's righteous, but yet our circumstances don't look like he's righteous. Uh, and and, and we've, we've talked about the fact there's mystery and, and that he's, it's eternity. He's looking for eternity. One more idea, ladies and gentlemen, and that is authority. Authority. We have an authority in our life, and, and that authority is God's word. God is our authority, but God has given us his word, and his word is an authority in our life. In, uh, in Psalm, I think, 119, yeah, verse 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. In John 17, 17, uh, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is, say it out loud, truth. His word, that's what we believe. Every jot and tittle, every bit of it is truth. It's been proven through multiple ways through the years, but it is truth, and that makes it an authority in our lives. So no matter, so here's what it means. No matter what your circumstances are looking like or telling you, no, what, no matter what anybody else is telling you, God's word says over and over again, and I didn't even, I didn't even get to all the verses because we just don't have time, just hundred, hundreds of times, literally, in scriptures, refers to the righteousness of God. And so there's our authority. Man, my circumstances sure don't look like this is fair. But God's word says that he is a righteous, a right doing, a just, a fair God. And so whatever God is doing or allowing to happen in my life, I will stand on that truth. No matter what it looks like, I have an authority that I can stand on. Can I tell you what an incredibly precious thing that is? Most of the world has no authority that they can really stand on to be able to stand on that truth. It is the righteousness of God. And then there's, there's one other uh, part of the description that I think we need to look at today, and it is his sovereignty. His sovereignty. In, in verse uh, 10 there, it said, uh, thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. Before him. The image is that, that God is there, that God is on his throne, and gathered there are, are, the, are his people, are the creation. Now, there's some discussion about, what, you know, and we'll get into more of this, but what kind of, is this the great white throne judgment? Is this, you know, what, what all's going on here? But the point is that, that it shows that God, ladies and gentlemen, here it is, God is large and in charge. Now, you don't have to believe that. The world doesn't have to believe that. Somebody doesn't, but I'm telling you, God is large and in charge. He is on his throne. He is sovereign. Now, sovereign is kind of an old word. I think the Brits use it or something. We don't use it a lot. But, but just to remind you, Webster's online, uh, sovereignty, supreme excellence, or an example of it, supreme power, especially over a body politic, over a, a group. Watch, this is very important. Freedom from external control. No one else, no, one, no other that he is autonomy and a controlling influence. That is God, sovereign over his creation. Now, let me give, you, give me real quickly, let me give you some words that I hope will be a comfort to you today. This is the heavenly father that each and every one of us has or can have. Every one of us. As I said earlier, you may have had a great dad, you may have had a lousy dad. You may have had a dad who was in the home, or you may have had an absentee dad. You may have had a dad who blessed you, or a dad who cursed you. You may have, you may, all these kind of things that, that may have been. But this is the God. This is the God. This ancient of days is the God who loves you and me, and who has made it possible for us to be adopted into his family 
so that we could call him father. And not just father, but even daddy. That's the relationship that he has made possible for you and for me. I, I hope, and, and I know some of you have some just terrible stories of growing up. And I hope that there are some words of comfort in that. But now, before we close, can I give you some words of conviction? And I'm referring really, you apply it to all of us, but I'm pointing now very specifically at those of us who are dads or may, who may be dads someday, fathers. This is our model. Well, wait a minute, are you telling me I'm supposed to be God? No. Good luck with that one. No. No, but I'm saying that, that this description of God is a description of, of how we should seek to be as earthly fathers. For instance, what did we talk about? We talked about his eternality. We talked about the eternal nature of God. Now, you and I are not eternal, right, in, in the sense that God is. We're not eternal in that, in that we had a beginning. God had no beginning. We had a beginning. We did not exist. We came into existence. But do you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that once we've come into existence, there will never be a time when we will not exist. That there is within the, 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 the man, the woman, an a eternal spirit, eternal being once we come into creation, the Bible says we will live forever in one of two places. That's what Scripture says. So that means that everything that you and I as dads do, and, and all of us, should be done from an eternal perspective. So this might be a good place just to stop and ask, dads, what about that? Do you know where you will spend eternity? Have you settled that issue? Do you know that you know that you know that you know that you have received the free gift that God offers to you his pardon by the death of his son so that you could be adopted into the family of God, receive Christ as your savior and, and be able to actually call him father. It also means, dads, that, that, that the decisions that we make have eternal consequences to them. Man, think about that before, before we tell our kids this or we yell about that or we wear their behinds out about this or, or we let them do that or we give them, the, the, there, there can be eternal consequences to every decision that we make and we need to recognize that. We also talked about not only eternality, but also his holiness. Again, we're not holy like God is in that we're not totally uh, sinless. We, don't, we do have a sin nature. We're not unique in that there's, you know, there's, there's no one else like us. But we are called to be holy. Make no mistake about it. To be separate, to be different, to be apart. Can I ask this, dads? Do you, would your children say that you look different in some way from, from the rest of the dads? at school, who perhaps are not followers of Christ? Is there something about your life, is there something about your attitude and your actions that display that you are unique? You're not better, right? We say it all the time. We are no better than anybody else. But if you've come to Christ, you're called to be different, to step out in a life lived as a life lived differently than what the world would often choose, who live only for now and not from eternal perspective. We also talked about his righteousness Again, those actions. We are not righteous to the degree that God is. We will never get it right every single time. Ladies, can I hear an amen? We will not get it right every single time. We know that. But still, the idea that I can be right, I can choose to be just and fair and do the right things for my family, do the right things for those people I work with, do the right things that bring honor and glory to God. We're called to be righteous and his sovereignty. We, are, we do not have all sovereignty, as that description was. We are subject to God. We're subject to the laws of the land. We're so, to a lot of different things. So we don't have sovereignty in the sense that God does. But ladies and gentlemen, dads, dads, fathers, you have been given the responsibility to be the leader of your home. Not the ruler. 
Ladies, can I hear an amen? Not the ruler, but the leader of your home. How you doing, dads? How's that going? Husbands, fathers, are you leading your home? Because there's an expectation that you will. Now listen, this is not a whole marriage kind of thing. But I know that wives have a hard time sometimes submitting. I know that's a ugly word in the 21st century, but I know wives sometimes have a hard time submitting to the leadership of their husbands in the home. Wives have a hard time doing that sometimes. Husbands, can I? No, you better not. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Bread and water for you tonight, Rocky. <laughs> No, right? We were honest. Wives, you would say that. You would say, oh, sheesh. I know what the Bible says, but I don't know that God had him in mind when he, when he wrote that one up. So when we, when we talk about uh, a husband's role, we, I know that wives sometimes have a hard time placing themselves under the leadership of a husband. But can I say this? That I think many times, maybe not all times, but many times, The reason for that may be because the husbands are unwilling to step up and be the leaders they're supposed to be. This this is the God who is our heavenly father. But he is also the model for us as fathers. We won't get it right all the time. But this description of this ancient of days should encourage us that this is who is walking with me. This is who is empowering me. And this is who I can try and emulate in my life. I know I won't be God. I'm not trying to be God. But I'm trying to honor God with who he's called me to be. How about it, fathers? How about it? I think we can all agree that having the Ancient of Days for our Heavenly Father is truly a blessing. It's hard to imagine that God would love us enough to make a way for us to be in His family. But that's exactly what He did by sending God the Son to die on the cross so that we could live as children of God. As Pastor Clay explained a moment ago, that's both a comfort and a conviction to all of us, not just dads. But fathers have a special responsibility to lead their family in a way that would honor the Lord. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.